morning, church. Um, please keep your Bibles open to that passage. We'll be referring back to that. I want you following along with me because God's Word is authority, not me. So um, please keep your Bibles open in front of you. Um, a warm welcome to you, especially if it's your first time today. Uh, great to have you with us. My name's Iggy. I'm the pastor here at Cooper's Plains Evangelical. And it's great we can come together under God's Word to hear what He has to say to us. Uh, and He's got some amazing things in store. Now, uh, today, as we think about uh, our passage, I want to start with a question, and that question is, what do you pray for? What do you pray for? Now, I think prayer is one of those things that is a part of all of our lives. Uh, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I'm sure even if you're not a Christian, there's been a point in your life where you've probably prayed before. You know, a point in life where you've prayed something to someone, even if you weren't really sure who that was, uh, maybe in a time of great need. A time when nothing else made sense, and the only thing that made sense was prayer. Prayer, it's part of our lives, I think. It's part of us as humans, and especially for us as Christians. If you're a believer here, you know that prayer is essential. It's part of who we are, our identity, as we speak to our Heavenly Father, as He desires to hear us as children coming before Him with our requests. But I wonder, as you pray to God... And you bring your request to Him. I wonder if you ever thought about this question. Are you praying for the right thing? Are you praying for the right thing? The question I got you to discuss with each other is, was, you know, what's the most important thing to pray for? I'm sure there was a variety of different responses uh, to hear there. But in today's passage in Ephesians, uh, we're going to see the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, a, a missionary, a church planner, an early church leader, as he, as he prays, for the early church in a city called Ephesus. We're going to see a prayer that I think we all need. This is the crucial prayer, a prayer that we all need. Now, as April told us last week, we looked at that massive praise section that Paul starts the letter with. Um, and he, he's reminding us about how great the blessings are that we have in Christ and God's huge plan to bring everything to unity under Christ. And today, we're going to go on to look at a prayer that Paul prays in response. And there's going to be excuse me, uh, three points that we're going to go through. So uh, point one is a spirit-filled life. Point two is know you have real hope. And point three is know you have real power. Okay, so just to give you an uh, outline of what we're going to be thinking about as we think about this prayer that we all need. Now, um, the prayer starts, um, if you turn your Bibles with me, Ephesians 1, verse 15. Ephesians 1, verse 15. And have a, have a look at this passage with me. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Uh, and Paul is essentially saying here as he starts off that, I am so thankful for you because of your faith and your love. Essentially what he's saying is, I'm thankful because you're Christians, right? because God has shown you these incredible blessings I've just listed out, because you've been living them out. He's just so thankful that they exist, that he has brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I wonder how often we give thanks for that sort of thing, that we simply have brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that's what Paul is doing here. He's so thankful, he's overflowing with thanks, but he doesn't just stop with thanksgiving. He goes on to pray for them, right? I, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know 
him better. Um, and what Paul is praying here is the most important thing, what he thinks is the most important thing for this church. And do you know what his prayer is? Is that they might know God better. That's his prayer. That you may know God better. That's the core of his prayer. Right? That's what he wants for them. He wants them, um, you know, these people are Christians. He's just been spending a whole, you know, passage talking about how they are blessed people in Christ. He's thanking them for their faith and love. So they know God, but what Paul wants is that they really know God. That they grasp really what God's done for them. That they fully comprehend the enormous depths of the blessings that's been shown to them. He wants them to really know God. And how does this come about? Well, if you notice in the passage, he says, the thing he's praying for is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Um, This language, um, I I guess when you think about the Holy Spirit, uh, it's a bit of a contentious subject um, amongst Christian churches. Sometimes we we think about what what does the Spirit do? What doesn't it do? What can we be expecting from the Spirit? Um, Well, I think here, as Paul talks, He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think he's pointing out, I think, the crucial work of the Holy Spirit, the core work of the Holy Spirit. And that is of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom and revelation. This language takes us back to verses 8 to 10 that we saw uh, last week, which says this, Ephesians 1, verses 8 to 10. This is God. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Um, and what Paul is saying here is that the things of the gospel, the blessings of God, they're not things that we work out for ourselves, right? How do we know them? It has to be the work of the Spirit in our hearts to bring us revelation, to bring us revelation. The word revelation means something that was hidden is now revealed. Something hidden is now revealed. And you notice the language there that this is all throughout Ephesians. He made known to us the mystery of His will. A mystery that once we didn't know is now made known to us and we can comprehend it. Um, When I was young, it makes me sound old when I was younger, but you know, back in in my youth, it still sounds like I'm old. Earlier on, I used to enjoy watching, uh, you know, those shows, those crime shows, you know, like uh, CSI, Law and Order, I used to love how, you know, you get that opening scene where there's some sort of crime scene um, and you have no idea what's going on, right? There might be a few clues, a murder weapon, there might be a witness, there might be... But the whole episode is going along trying to find out what actually happened, what's going on, right? And every good movie, every good uh, story has this sort of um, mystery to it that you're trying to find out, you know, what, what is it? What's going to happen at the end? You know, like in the Harry Potter stories, is Snape, is he good? Is he bad? You know, you don't... You, you're spending the whole time wondering about this thing and nothing makes sense until the very end when that mystery is unveiled, where revelation happens, when all the pieces fall into place and you finally understand and things make sense as you see the bigger picture. That is the work of the Spirit in us, friends. The Spirit is what enables us to understand the mystery of God. This mystery that He has this massive plan, 
this cosmic plan to bring all things in unity under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, to bring all things together. And the fact that we get to be a part of that through Jesus, this mystery is made known to us by the work of the Spirit in our hearts. This isn't something we work out on our own. This is the powerful work of the Spirit. Friends, if you want a Spirit-filled life, you know, you hear that term, uh, a real spiritual life, then um, what it looks like is this. It's to know God better. To know God better. This is the prayer that Paul is praying. This is the prayer he's asking that the Spirit would enable in all of our hearts, in the church's heart. This is the prayer we all need. I think we can agree we all need that prayer. Because it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Uh, It doesn't matter 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, you know. Uh, It doesn't matter how many Bible studies you've gone to or led or been in. It it doesn't matter how many times you come to church or serve. The thing is, for all of us, we all need to know God better, don't we? Don't tell me you've reached a point where you've just reached this pinnacle of knowledge of God where you're, no, I'm good. I know God. I know everything there is to know about Him. I have this deep personal relationship. Nothing else is needed for me. I've got a perfect relationship with God. This doesn't happen for us here, this side of the new creation. This is a prayer we all need, to know God better. Because, friends, when you think about God, this is God we're talking about. The glory of God is inexhaustible. We are humans. He is the great God of the universe, the creator, the mighty one. He's, it's, it's like delving into a, a, a deep well that never ends. And as we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, our souls are refreshed, our hearts are transformed so that we can love Him better and know Him better. And as we go deeper and deeper, the Spirit imparts in our heart, that, that wisdom, that revelation, that how great and how good God is and how incredible are the blessings that He's shown us. Blessings made known to us through His living and active Word as the Spirit speaks to us every time we open this book here, God's Word. These have been recorded for us so that we know God, we know His work, and we know how incredibly amazing and immeasurable is His grace, mercy, and power to us. And let me tell you a bit more about what are these blessings that He shows us. Right? And we're at point two, which is know that you have real hope. Know you have real hope. There's three things that Paul prays for that the Holy Spirit will bring knowledge of. He prays for uh, that you'll know the hope uh, you'll know real hope, that you'll know the inheritance you've been called to, and that you'll know power. Well, have a look at Ephesians 1, 18. Ephesians 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. Okay? As we look at this verse, uh, the one thing I want you to note is that um, Paul is talking about hope, Right? Hope, there's something in the future that we're hoping for. But what is the basis of this hope? Did you see that? Verse 18. Uh, That you may know the hope to which He has called you. To which He has called you. Now this is vital. Because when you think about hope, right? 
It needs to be based on something. And the hope that this is based on is the fact that God himself has called the Ephesians and God himself has called us who are Christians to him. This reminds us of the language um, from last week as we looked at the passage that we are chosen before time even began. God is the one that decided that you would be part of his family despite the fact that we don't do anything to deserve it. He chooses us to be holy. He chooses us to be his children. He chooses us to be redeemed and free. Right? God chooses us for this. And that is so key because it means it's not based on us and what we do, but it's based on God. It's based on God. When we use the word hope in our lives, uh, usually it's, um, we often equate hope with um, wishful thinking, right? Like you wake up in the morning and you think, uh, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or, I hope the traffic's not too bad. I hope I get, get there on time. Or, you know, I hope, I hope I get that promotion at work. Uh, whatever it might be, you know, you hope for these things. You're, you're wishing for something to happen. But the thing is, there's no certainty of those things, are there? You're not in control of those things. You, you don't know what will happen. That's why you're hoping that this outcome will, will be the result. But that's not what Christian hope is. Christian hope is certain. Christian hope is certain because it's not based on us. It's based on the God of the universe who is in control of all things and who has all power and authority and control over every single thing that happens in this earth. The Christian hope uh, says that, you know, it isn't a maybe that perhaps this will happen, that if all the things go right, that this will be the outcome. It's a certainty because it is based on God and not on us. And the certainty that we have is of an inheritance that is sure. An inheritance waiting for us in that future, in the new creation. Last week I talked about the fact that we are adopted, uh, adopted people into uh, God's family, right? Um, sorry, I'm going a bit hard. Uh, adopted people into God's family. Um, and when you think about the privilege of adoption, I, I mentioned I think that's one of the highest privileges of being Christian, being adopted into God's family, the fact that we get to get into that family when we're, least, when we're undeserving of that. Um, but when we get into that family, you don't get adopted into the family like um, a third cousin twice removed that you only see at the family gathering once a year. You know, that's not your status in the family. Do you know what God adopts us to? He adopts us to the position of sonship. Sonship. Being seen just like a son in the family. Now, women, this is a really good thing, let me tell you that, because in the ancient days, what, what happened is it was the sons that received the inheritance, the sons that got things passed down to them. It wasn't the daughters. So what this verse is actually telling us here, as Paul talks about the inheritance that awaits, is that everyone, no matter who you are, if you are in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, you receive the inheritance of the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, last, last week we, we saw that Jesus, yeah, he's, he's going to get, just have a think about this, that everything in the universe, everything in heaven, everything on earth, all things in creation will be brought together in unity under Christ. All things in the universe will be given to Jesus. 
Right? Have a think about that. So everything in the universe will be given to Jesus. He will have it all. And guess what? For us who are in Jesus Christ, we get to share in that. We get his inheritance. We get to be a part of that because we are united with him and we share every privilege that the Son has. When I think about this, I, I can't really comprehend it in one sense. What will that look like? What would that mean? Like, how, how can we be able to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who will rule over the entire universe and have all things? I'm not sure exactly what that will look like. What I do know is that that is the highest privilege that we can have, to be seen in God's eyes, God the Father, seeing us just like the Son, Jesus Christ. That's how He views us. And we will receive all things just like the Son deserves. That is what awaits. That is the hope that awaits for us who are in Christ. And that hope is certain. Let me tell you that. Now, friends, this is really important. This matters. Hope that is certain, this really matters in this world. Because when you think about this world, and you think about how broken this world is, you think about how much pain and suffering is in this world, you think about how much uncertainty is in this world. And when, when you think about your own lives, that we've all experienced things in different ways, but as, as you walk forward and there's things that you face that, you, that seem like you, you can't overcome them, but there's, there's no point, then what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to keep on going on? Well, the, the answer is hope. All right? We need hope. You might be feeling hopeless, here today. You might have come to church today and beneath that happy exterior, you're really suffering. You're broken and you're, you're losing hope or you've lost it already. Right? Maybe, maybe you're here and you're stuck um, in a loveless marriage. Right? And each day, it seems like you and your spouse are growing further and further apart and your bitterness and resentment are, is just growing more and more and more. And it seems like you can't keep going in this. How am I supposed to keep going in this suffering? Maybe you're here today and you're, you're struggling with a hidden addiction. It's hidden so nobody knows. But each day you're being crushed by the guilt and the shame that comes with not being able to beat porn or alcohol or drugs or something else, whatever it is, and it's just crushing you. Right? And you think to yourself, this is hopeless. How am I supposed to keep going on? Maybe you're here today and you're suffering a sickness. Right? Maybe you've got a chronic illness that is slowly but surely tearing your body apart. And each and every day that you get, get up out of bed, it's, it's a struggle. Right? And you're wondering, what, how am I supposed to keep going at these times? And in the times of suffering and in the times of pain, whatever it might be for you, um, you, you might be praying to God, you might have others praying for you, um, but guess what? Nothing's happening. And then you start to wonder to yourself, maybe my faith isn't strong enough. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe God doesn't love me at all. And your suffering is not just physical or emotional, um, is spiritual as well. Friends, what do we do in those times? How are we supposed to keep going? 
Well, my prayer for you is a prayer that Paul prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. To know the hope to which he has called you. In, when, in this life, when it seems like there's no point going on, we need to look to the future where we know there is certainty. We need to look to the future where we know there is something in store for us which is so much better than this world has to offer. Right? God never promises us that living in this world that we're not going to suffer. You know, even if you're a Christian, that things will be perfect and everything will be fine. He doesn't promise that. But what He does promise is that the future hope that we have is certain. And this is a hope that keeps us going. The hope of a new creation where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, where God Himself will wipe away every tear from our eye. A future hope where what awaits us is eternal joy, embrace in the arms of a loving Father who will protect us and keep us safe and who will count us as worthy for eternity. A future, a future hope where um, the power of sin and death will be gone, where there won't be any of this brokenness anymore, where the world will be as it should be, this will be perfected. Friends, that is the hope that awaits us who trust in Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that's available for all who come to Him. And that's the hope we all need. Can you see how knowing that hope changes everything in our life? How if we have that eternal perspective of what's to come in the future, what's certain, then that changes everything about the way we live right now. It enables us to go through with everything. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, we will suffer, and the things that will happen to us, they are genuinely difficult things and painful things. We don't want to brush that away, but we have something bigger in store. And that, and that is what will keep us going, friends, in a time where there seems like there's no hope at all. Friends, um, this verse from Romans 8, 18, really sums it up. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can you see that? They're not worth comparing to the immense glories that will be revealed in us, that await in the future. That's the promise for us. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because if you do, it will change everything about the way you live right now in this world. Paul wants us to know um, the incredible hope that we've been called to. But the other thing he wants us to know is the incredible power that has been shown to us. And we're at point three, know God's power. Um, if you think of God, uh, if I ask you to think of who God is, even if you're not a believer here today, um, but I ask you that question, I'm sure something that would be on that list is power, right? If you think of God, right, that God, if He is God, has to have power. He has to be powerful. But I wonder... Um, how, is, how does he show that power? Right? How does God show power? Um, if you think back in history, you might think uh, maybe it was when he brought Israel out of Egypt with those miraculous signs and wonders that had never been seen before. Right? He brought them up out of Egypt. Uh, maybe when it was that worldwide flood on this world back in the time of Noah. That's a sign of power. Maybe it's when he spoke the world into existence by his very words. He just spoke and things came to be. Incredible power. But let me tell you, right here today, 
right here in this church, in our midst, it's God working His power in a way which I think is um, just as great or perhaps even greater than all those events that He did back in the Old Testament times, back in history. I think there's God working His power here today in a way that we just take for granted. Incredible power. And do you know what that is? It's the fact that He saved people. It's the fact that this church even exists in the first place. This church exists on the basis of God's incredible power in a way that the world has never seen before. All right? Have a look at verses 19 and 20 with me. Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. All right? So here's the prayer that he prays um, that we might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand, in the heavenly realms. God has shown us, us who believe, um, his incredibly great power. Incredibly great power. But what is it? What is this incredibly great power? Well, did you notice it's the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power he exerted then. So let's pause here and have a think about this power. So God uh, rose Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a testimony of God's word to us that he rose Christ from the dead. And I think all of us here would agree that that is powerful, right? Raising someone from the dead is powerful. If I said to you, if I said to you that the other day I saw Ben, and I saw him walking down the street, and I saw him just raise a dead man to life, um, you would be suitably impressed by that, wouldn't you? That would be impressive. But let me tell you, God here isn't um, <clears throat> showing us that Jesus Christ is just some magic man who can pull off some pretty amazing tricks. It's so much more than that. So much more. Because if you go on and have a look at the verses that follow, Ephesians 1, 21 to 23, it's not only that... He raised Christ from the dead, that he shows his power, but that he seated Christ in the heavenly places. Have a look at verse, verses 21 to 23. So he raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. What this verse is saying is that not only did Jesus Christ raise from the dead, not only was He risen from the grave, but that God uh, rose Him up to heaven. He's ascended into heaven and He sits now at the right hand of God. Have you ever heard that term, um, this is my right hand man? It means that this is the most important person besides me. So it says, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has this incredible power and authority. It says, um, incomparably great power, right? He has uh, rule above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So Christ, it's not only, He didn't just raise to life to walk around on earth a little bit and then to die again. He was raised and He ascended into heaven to take His throne in heaven, Right? This is his ascension to kingship, his ascension to his rule over all creation, over all the universe, 
where he has all dominion and power and authority and his rule and his reign will never, ever end. The kingdom is his forever. That's what it's being said here. And as we look at those two pieces of the puzzle, so Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension to kingship, um, it helps us make sense of the power of God that's being talked about here. Because the power of God that is shown in Jesus Christ is not the fact that Jesus just biologically overcame death. That is an amazing thing, yes. But it's it's not the fact that he just rose to death physically on this earth, but he rose and he ascended into heaven to take his throne as king with all power and authority and rule and dominion, which means that he hasn't just beat death once, but that he's overcome death forever. He's destroyed the power of death forever. He's conquered death forever. The power of death is broken. That's what it's saying here, because Christ wins. Jesus wins. The undefeatable enemy is defeated. If you think about death, and it's not a subject we like to think about very much, but think about this. Death is the one enemy that we can't beat. Right? Death is the one thing that will always get us, no matter who you are. Right? Death is inevitable. It's part of our existence as humans in this world. And that's because um, we decided to reject God, to tell God to get out of our life. And do you know who God is? He is the creator and he is the life giver. So what do we expect when we tell God to get out of our life and he actually judges us and punishes us by giving us what we want, which is this, to be cut off from the life giver? We have no life anymore apart from God. It's impossible. Spiritually dead. And also awaiting a future where physically we will as well and our bodies are wasting away every single day. That's the reality. Death is the enemy that we can't be. It's just waiting for us. It's around the corner. But Jesus Christ, you know what he does? He says to death, he, death faces him and he punches death in the face. He knocks death down. He conquers death and he defeats death. And death has no power anymore because death is conquered. Because Jesus wins. Christ wins. He is the king. There's no power or authority that will ever, ever, ever come him. This is the power of God. This is the power of God. Jesus dies on the cross to pay for our sins. He raises to life to conquer death. And he ascends into heaven to sit on that throne to show his rule and authority over death and sin for all eternity. All eternity. That is the power. And what does Paul say? He says, this It's the same power that has been shown to you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him on the throne above all rule and authority and dominion, is the same power that has been shown to you. If you trust in Jesus Christ, that is the same power. In Christ, you are raised to new life with him. In Christ, you share his position in heaven, seated in the heavenly realm spiritually right now. In Christ, God's power is manifested in you. Sometimes as Christians, um, we, we seek God's power, don't we? You know, we, we seek out that um, experience of God's power in our life. You know, we, we really desire to uh, see the miraculous work of God in our life. We, we really want to see the supernatural. We want to see this power experience 
that would just stop and get us to that next level of, of the Christian life. But let me tell you something, all right? Because if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you, if you exist as a, someone who trusts in Jesus Christ, then this is a miraculous sign of God's power, right? This is incredible power, all right? This is supernatural because there's no way that you would ever come to trust Jesus by yourself. You've been raised from death to life. Spiritually, you've overcome death now because of what Christ has done in your life. So your very life as a Christian, brother or sister, is a sign of God's power. Power like you wouldn't believe. But just power that we take for granted each and every day. of God's power. You are a supernatural being. You are not normal because you've been one by the power of Jesus Christ, raised from death to life. Which means that as the world stands against us, right, and we face opposition in our life from our increasingly secular, hostile society, right, as that faces us, um, we have the power to stand firm there. Yeah. As Satan and hit the spiritual forces um, come against us and try to bring us down, and yes, that's a reality. We don't talk about it much. But Ephesians 6, later on, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, putting on our armor because we're in a spiritual fight as Satan tries to win our heart. But know this, friends, that we have the power of God in us to stand firm and overcome this. He has shown this to us by His grace and mercy. We have incredible power that keeps us going till the end, and it is sure. Now, friends, do you see why, once again, this is a prayer that we all need? Yeah? That we all need. That we, we need to know God has called us, that certain hope in the future, and we need to know this incredibly magnificent power, this incomparable power. We need to know this, not just to know about it, but we need to know it deeply and intimately. We need to grasp it and understand it and comprehend it deeply so that it shapes everything in our life. Because if we do know these things, then we cannot live the same way again, and we will not live the same way. If we know God's, if we know God's power, then the things of this world, they'll, they'll fade into insignificance as we live for our great God who's won us for Him. Friends, here's the implication as we finish. It's a simple one. What's an interesting one? Pray. Pray for yourself. This is a prayer that God, um, that Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And I think this is a prayer we all need. We need to be praying this for ourselves. We need to pray, it's a simple prayer, we need to pray that we can know God better. That we can know, really know the hope that, to which He's called us to. That we can really know the power that He's shown us and that's in us right now. We need to pray that we know this. But my fear is, is that we don't pray for these things. Um, I don't know about you, so, but so often my prayers can... Um, Go devolve down to just me coming to God like a giant vending machine when I need something from Him. You know? So I send my prayer up um, when there's an exam around the corner. Or I send my prayer up when um, I've got a cold and I want to overcome it. Or I send my prayer up when it's Christmas and I need to find a shopping car park you know, spot or something like that. And I pray. And all these things are fine to pray to God for. Right? They're fine because He wants us to bring all our requests to Him. But let me tell you, I think God's got much bigger things in store for you than that. 
much bigger things. He wants us to know Him deeply and intimately, know His hope, know His power. He wants us to grasp those things and to live in light of that. That's what He wants. And I wonder, what's your prayer life look like? If you were to journal down the things that you're praying and show someone else, would you be ashamed to show them because your prayers are all self-centered or consumeristic prayers about things that I want, uh, physical things that I need in my life? Um, or maybe you'd be ashamed to show someone because as you look at your prayer notebook, um, there's actually nothing there because you haven't been praying at all. You've been relying on your own strength. You've just been going on because things are going well and you don't need God when things are going well. Is that what your prayer life looks like? Friends, God has given us an incredible privilege. Prayer is a privilege like you would not, you can't comprehend the fact that we get to pray to our Father. We come before our Father not in fear, um, not in, you know, just really fearing what God's going to say to us and He's going to chuck us out of His presence, but He's accepted us in as His children, as His sons, and He hears all our prayers and He gives us everything that we need. This is the privilege we have, but we don't take hold of it enough. At least I know I don't. So pray for yourself, but pray for those big prayers, right? because that's what God wants in your life. And the second implication is pray for others. I told you it's simple. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. This year we're seeking to be a church that loves like Jesus, right? That's our vision for this year. Loving like Jesus. Loving like Jesus so we can um, really show that servant-hearted, self-sacrificial, humble love to each other. And I've been mentioning in the past weeks that, and I'm convinced about this, that if we want this to happen, then one of the key things is that we, we have to be praying for each other. Um, imagine if every time you walk through that door, you would know that people are praying for you, that someone is praying for you to know God better. You're right? We pray for all our needs, but especially this one. Imagine if you walked in and someone sat down and just said, can I pray for you, that you'll know God better, that you'll know this hope that He's given you, that you'll know the power that He's shown you. Or someone comes to you during the week and says, hey, guess what? I was praying for you about those things. You know, How encouraging is that to have someone do that? I was talking to um, someone before and they were sharing that someone simply said to them during the week, I've been praying for you. And it was a massive encouragement for her. Just keep on going, living for Christ. That's a huge way that, we'll pr- that we can love each other, isn't it? Just to pray for each other. But it's not just the encouragement that comes as we pray for each other. Because um, whilst I think that's a hugely important thing, I don't think that's the core thing. Because when you think about what prayer is, it's not just encouragement. But you're appealing to God to work in this world. If we want to see transformation, if we want to see change in us, if we want to see change in our church so that we can actually love God better, then we need prayer. We're not going to do this by our own willpower, just trying a little bit harder. We need prayer. You know, if you're convinced that prayer is prayer, this will work, right? This is how God has chosen to work in this world, friends, to use us, humans who are weak, inarticulate, you know, failures in a lot of ways, but He uses our little prayers to enact His massive purposes in this world. He doesn't have to, but He chooses to do that. So every time we bring our prayers to Him, 
We are working in God's plan. We are helping His plan to come about. He works through our prayers. So the more we pray, friends, the more we are going to see change. I'm convinced about that. Do you believe that God has power? Do you believe that He works through His prayers? If you genuinely believe that, that will motivate you to pray more. If we are a community that's praying for change, that's praying, if we're all praying that we as a church will know God better, right? If we, are, we as a church are praying that we will really know this hope that He's called us to, if we as a church are praying that um, we know this power that He's called us to, right? Then, and we're praying for those things, then this church will be transformed. Absolutely transformed. Friends, this is the prayer we all need. And I'm going to be praying right now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has won us entry into your family. The fact that you've adopted us as sons when we are so undeserving and we receive everything that the Son has. What a privilege we have, Father. But we pray and we ask your forgiveness for the fact that we forget these things and we take them for granted. And we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be upon our hearts to impact us so that we may know this glorious hope to which we've been called to, this immense, incredibly, uh, incredible inheritance that we've been called to, and that we may know this immeasurable power that's been shown to us, Father. Help us to really know it, not just to know about it. And may we live our lives in light of this knowledge so that the concerns of this world may fade away and we may live for your glory and your glory alone. To the praise of your glory, we pray these things. Amen.